are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7000. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama as well as airing on Facebook. You can watch the show on ESPN 106.7, Fox Sports Central Alabama and Radio Alabama Sports Facebook pages as well as find your on-demand replays there or on the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Lance, how's your Tuesday treating you? It's been going pretty well, Noah. How's yours treating you? It's going pretty well. It's going pretty well. Had had a good lunch, and now I'm back in the house ready to get things going here on On the Line. And let's get it started. Seen some stuff out there about how Brian Harson believes Auburn still needing some team building going into the summer, which is to be expected, but there was some coach speak that I'd like you to decipher for me here. Let's go through the coach speak and decipher it. What does all of this mean about Auburn still needing some team building going into the summer? Well, what Harson was kind of talking about in a, in a press conference recently is just saying, you know, Auburn's got a lot of little details to work out, specifically talking about, like, you know, we, they, they're installing new schemes on both sides of the ball, and there's a lot of new things that come with that, and these younger guys have not necessarily been picking up as quick of some, as some of Auburn's leaders, and so there was a lot of coach speech surrounding that, but the basis was we've got some guys on our roster that we can trust right now that can kind of help teach some of these younger guys and help them develop each other heading into the summer but they he essentially said that they're a ways off and that's not necessarily concerning because you know Harson said things like this in the past he said it through spring he's been very very generic so it's not necessarily concerned but it is some some interesting it's some interesting coach speak to dive into he continued to say the word maximize. We need to maximize our time together as a football team. We need to maximize June and July. We have to maximize the summer. He said it four or five times. Maximizing development. Stay focused on our guys. Fine-tuning things. There was a lot of things talking about how they need to be preparing themselves heading into June and July because then things start to really ramp up. Let's take a look here Some of, at some of his quotes. He said, I like that the football part is really on our players. I really do. I think that's where you develop your chemistry as a team, letting those leaders and letting those guys that are in positions to drive practices in the summer, you got to let them go out there and do that. And Auburn's got, a, Auburn's got a solid group of leaders. He mentioned Owen Papo as one of the guys. Sean Shiver's obviously another. And, of course, Bo Nix, if your quarterback's not a leader, you have a problem. Bo Nix, another one of those leaders on this team. He's going to let those guys go out there and kind of dictate, not necessarily run practices, but he did say, well, actually, he did say, I think the players can go out there and run these practices and they can help each other. I think there's a good enough foundation right now. So communication with the coaches as far as these leaders go, I think he's what he's trying to emphasize on is like just letting some of these older guys take over as the summer progresses. I like that you bring up Bo Nix because his job is being called into question right now with the announcement of TJ Finley deciding to transfer to Auburn. And while you and I talked about that at length yesterday about how we don't actually believe that he's going to come to Auburn and usurp Bo Nix's position as the starting quarterback at Auburn, Bo Nix is going to be in a position battle going into the fall. That's why they brought in T.J. Finley. The way that T.J. Finley is talking about the job, he uses the word compete for the starting quarterback position at Auburn University for this fall of course the SEC still has to wipe away its waiver rule for transfers but Bo Nix is going to be in a quarterback battle going into the summer and then into fall camp he's going to have to set the tone from a competition standpoint for the rest of the football team this couldn't this could end up being a great thing for Bo Nix that TJ Finley's coming in not just to push Bo Nix to be a better player but to also push this football team from a cultural standpoint to add a, add a competitive nature, add an edge in fall camp that these guys have to be, I hate using the term looking over your shoulder because that is taken as a, it, that, that's taken with a negative connotation, but 
guys should definitely be looking to up their game all across the football team and I think Bo Nix can set the tone with that with his quarterback battle going into fall camp I think something that we saw last season during 2020 is a lot of frustration a lot of emotional frustration on the sideline from Bo Nix it was very visible the cameras were always on him we saw it a lot in that South Carolina game just a lot of miscommunication between him and his guys and he you you could see how animated he was on those sidelines and it's not necessarily something it's not necessarily a trait that you would want to see from a true leader and I think I think you're right. Bringing in a guy like TJ Finley is going to help. We've talked about this before. Talked about Harson wants to put Bo Nix in a pressure cooker and develop him into something special. And I think bringing in Finley is going to help him to create some of these leader characteristics that he doesn't necessarily seem to have right now. Something else that Harson said about the quarterback battle is the quarterback room's about toughness. It's about preparation. It's about decision-making. It's about accuracy. But these guys in this quarterback room, you want to have the ultimate competitor at the starting position. And really, it starts with themselves. There's only one thing about that position, and it's the one guy on the field. It's only one guy on the field that's playing the quarterback position. So for Knicks, moving forward... As he starts to develop through June and July and maximizing his time with the Tigers as one of those leaders, so to speak, I think this is a fantastic opportunity for him to really show, okay, I was a five-star quarterback out of Pinson coming in, coming into college. Let me show the world what I'm really made of. Let me show them that I've improved mechanically, that I can, uh, that I can fit this system and this scheme well, and that I can become a leader, a true leader, and put my emotions aside and lead this football team. And even though Finley has his eyes set on that quarterback starting job, we, we've seen him say it. He's come out and said it. I didn't come here to be benched. I came here to play ball. I think I think it's going to drive Bo Nix to be something special. And in turn, it's going to drive the rest of the team to do something special because Bo Nix right now is one of those leaders. If he can become more of a leader, he can drive this team to excellence. And that's something that Harson said. Again, there's a good enough foundation right now between these players that the leaders can go out there and not necessarily run these practices like teaching the players, hey, this is the new scheme, but t- but be, the, be another teacher on the field to these young guys. It's a fascinating time in Auburn football right now because you're seeing a new head coach try and install a new culture try and install this new culture which seems to be very different vastly different from the previous culture that Gus Malzahn had instilled at Auburn football so it's it's a fascinating time and you're seeing how he's handling personalities you're seeing how he's handling some of these former players and the quarterback position kind of give us kind of gives us an inside look at how he wants to set the tone I feel like for this football team and he says team building is going to continue into the summer he's focused on the guys that are at Auburn and trying to help these guys develop but he also understands a there are holes at other positions on this football team still namely on the offensive side of the football you're looking at bringing in another wide receiver you're looking at bringing in an offensive lineman possibly another running back you're looking at adding maybe up to three more players on the offensive side of the football from the transfer portal to fill roster holes, but you're also looking to set the tone for competition at each and every one of those position groups on the offensive side of the football with maybe the exception of running back. You understand that Tank Bigsby is the guy at running back. There has been no question about that whatsoever inside that running back room or on this football team, but all three other position groups mentioned quarterback offensive line and wide receiver competition could do this team some good and so when I'm deciphering through this coach speak when I'm deciphering through what this team building means team building is more to me than just bringing in new players it's trying to figure out how to get these players to mesh not only with each other but with the overall culture and the overall goal that you want for the football team next season and competition has to be a part of that because competition can raise your play we've seen that in business we've seen that in other facets of your life competition can raise your game and Auburn desperately needs its game risen at quarterback offensive line 
and wide receiver. And something else that this coaching staff has done really well is they've kind of hit the reset button. You know, Gus Malzahn, not 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 going to hate on him, but he was very, very hands-on when it came to how the football team was operated last season. And it seems like immediately Harson is not is going to be hands-on, but he's going to to give give some leadership, more leadership for these for these older players. And the best it, teams are player ran, not coach ran. That's exactly right. Or so player led. When we're talking about hierarchy. In, in this Auburn football program, obviously you've got all your coaches, but then you've got the big guys. You've got your quarterbacks, you've got your linebackers, and they're going to be able to set the tones on their respective side of the football moving forward. And for him to bring up Owen Papo individually, like specifically, and say that while some younger guys are having issues picking up this scheme, Owen Papo just like that has been able to adapt and mold into this new system. I think is 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 very very good for Auburn. He always brings up Owen Papo. It seems like Owen Papo's name is always on the the is always in his mouth. That that that's what that seems like to me throughout the entire offseason. Owen Papo, Owen Papo this, Owen Papo that. It seems like Brian Harson sees him as a leader on that side of the football, as he should be. He's an upperclassman now, and he's been the best linebacker in that room. Debatably, of course, Jacoby McClain had a huge year, but I would say that Owen Papo, a more versatile linebacker. Another another conversation for another day, but Owen Papo factors in to be the leader of that defense. So, you know, you could pick up on little bits and pieces like that when he's talking to the media, and I think that's one area of it. Something else I want to bring up here real quick before we go to break. How do you think this coaching staff views this football team? Do you think they view them as ready to compete in the SEC? Do you think, because you look at some projections out there in the media right now, it's all over the place. Some folks out there are like six and six, this is going to be a terrible year. Other folks out there are like eight and four, like me at least. I'm saying eight and four at least this year. I think Auburn's still a talented football team. There's some people that are bullish. There are some people that are quite reserved, if not pessimistic, about this upcoming football season. How do you think this coaching staff views the football team? Do you think they're ready to compete? Well, something that Harson said is that they, they have a lot of work to do, and the detail in their schemes that they're trying to install is not quite where it needs to be. And but again, what does that mean? Like, Is, is that like Brian Harson maybe is more like always coaches are going to be their biggest critics, right? The, you know, Football teams are always going to say things like that to say stuff you know we're, we're not quite where we need to be at you could blow somebody out and I feel like Brian Harson would be the kind of coach to say well you know we did this wrong we did that wrong Nick Saban's that way so my question is 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 that do you believe that I think so I think so because he's he's willing to be honest with guy, about guys like Owen Papo saying like hey he literally said guys like Owen Papo that p- are picking up the scheme much faster and did a good job preparing themselves to help lead some of these guys in the summertime so he's willing to be honest like say hey some of our guys are doing it but some of our younger guys and some of these guys that don't necessarily understand the scheme yet are not necessarily picking it up so we just got to maximize our time together before we hit august because that that's when it really starts to ramp up that's when things get serious so if i'm if i'm trying to decipher some of this coach speak i'm reading that i'm saying well i think he's i think he's being genuine i think he's saying look we're not where we want to be but we're going that way and we've got leaders that can help us get to that spot get to where we want to be quickly and i think that's a good thing i think a little bit of it is what coaches do they are critical of themselves as they should be and more critical of themselves than other people or even media personalities at times because they know where they want to get it to be and Brian Harson seems like I, I don't really like using the word perfectionist but Brian Harson seems to be the kind of coach who he wants things done the right way he wants he, he has an air of accountability about him which is a great thing because Auburn needs that right now. There never seemed to be accountability for drops, for penalties. They just kept happening throughout the season, right? And Auburn desperately needs accountability right now in those various areas where Auburn commits a mental mistake here or there, an error here and there, but it ends up being a big play. You had a touchdown and the Iron Bowl dropped by Seth Williams. That's one of your best players. That shouldn't be happening. Go and watch Iowa State football. The reason why they punch above their weight class in terms of recruiting, they don't make those mistakes. They know they can't make those mistakes because they don't have as good of talent as Oklahoma, as Texas, as some of the other major powers in the Big 12, even Oklahoma State. They don't recruit as well as those schools. They understand that they have to play a near-perfect ball game. They have to control what they can control. 
They don't make those mistakes. Go and watch them. It's, it's some of the most fundamentally sound football that you will watch in the country. And there's a reason why they have gotten the Iowa State program now to being able to win eight or nine games and an ESPN's FBI playoff predictor. <laughs> they apparently think that they're a more likely candidate to make the playoff than teams like Ohio State and Oklahoma. Which is insane because eventually talent does win out. <laughs> exactly. And so we know Iowa State's not making the playoff this year. At least you and I don't think that's going to happen. We're bullish on Oklahoma this upcoming year. But Iowa State very well should win eight nine games this year that is not the iowa state program of 10 years ago iowa state would be blessed to win six games in the past they they were the vanderbilt of the big 12 they were they were amongst the ranks of kansas and yukon back in the day 10 years ago and now you look at what campbell has been able to do at iowa state it's all based on accountability and doing things the right way it's not the flashiest game in the world and it's not the best talent that's where auburn football needs to get to though they don't recruit as well as Alabama, Georgia. Let's just let's state the facts. Go and look at the recruiting rankings. Auburn barely got into the top 25 this year. For most years, Auburn would be lucky to get inside the top 10. They were hovering around 12 most years in 24-7 sports composite team rankings. That's good, but that's still good for fifth in the SEC. Mm-hmm. You're getting out-recruited by Alabama. You're getting out-recruited by Georgia. On average, you're getting out-recruited by Florida and LSU and Texas A&M. You're getting out-recruited by all these teams. You can't commit these errors that you've been committing in the past. And now I feel like there's some level of accountability coming into the program. So I'm looking forward to that. I think as far as you say, you, you mentioned that Brian Harson is not necessarily a perfectionist. And he said something that I thought was interesting, talking about these leaders and, and letting them get and get this rest of this team into the position that they want to be. He said it's not going to be perfect. And that's part of it, too. But they're going to have to correct themselves. And then later on in that same in that same quote, he said the player run practices in order for them to get to where they want we want them to be they're going to have to hit all of those check marks along those two months when we get into august so he said it's not going to be perfect but they're going to have to hit every single criteria that i want them to before we get to august so i think you're right as far as fundamentals go this guy is going to have this team ready by the time August gets here. And that really excites me because initially I was in the boat of like, man, Auburn's going to be lucky. Like you said, some media personalities out there, they're going to be lucky if they can get the six wins. They'll be lucky if they can get to a bowl. But I'm looking at it more and more now. Did Auburn get worse? They still beat Ole Miss and Arkansas last year. It's like, do you really think Auburn got worse? No. And they've continued. They're bringing back a quarterback, which is not, I think only five teams in the SEC do this season. They're bringing back what may be one of the best, if not the best running back in the country. This team could be pretty good this season i'm thinking eight or nine wins now like, thank I'm you more, i'm You're more finally, in your boat you spend enough time with me man you, I, i'll pull you along i'll pull you along the optimism rubs off jacob's shaking his head he's like stay away don't don't spend enough time don't 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 hang with that dude he's gonna he's gonna make you believe and then you're gonna be crushed at the end of it all and that's the truth people that know me people that are in my inner circle they know if they talk to me about Auburn football, Auburn athletics, period, long enough, they, they might start believing in something. And then they, you know, obviously the, the roller coaster of emotions as that SEC shorts that I'm sure a lot of people saw recently, yep. it doesn't it doesn't end well. Why didn't always. they include 2015? <laughs> they should have included 2015, man. How was that a roller coaster of emotion, though? But the offseason hype just to, about build, jeremy johnson yeah, the build up before it and it's just it all collapsed so quickly i think you could say 2014 though as well in that, that list would, yeah, you there mm, it's been people a tough... thought that 2014 was national championship or bust guess what bust they could have also done like one ride where it had been like the first 12 games of the 2017 season and then the last two <laughs> as a completely separate ride <laughs> man oh man that was good that was good that was, a, that was a great SEC shorts. I really enjoyed the Tennessee football one as well recently where the quarterback has to start making mistakes as a quarterback, had to start being grossly inaccurate, had to fumble a ball out of a snap just to get the scholarship from Tennessee. <laughs> they didn't like that he was playing well. I thought that was a great dig. I really did. That was, that was solid. We're going to head to break real quick here, though, and when we come back, we'll talk a little Auburn baseball as well as continue this conversation going about Auburn football. Is Auburn ready for scheme changes on both sides of the football. We talk about that and more on the other side of this break. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. And as promised, we got Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer on the line with us now. Justin, how you doing today, my man? I'm doing well. How are you? We're doing really well. It's good weather out here. That's all you can ask for. And it is a sunny day inside on the line with Justin Ferguson here on the line with us of the Auburn Observer. Justin, 
the news this week tj finley out of baton rouge he's trading in his yellow and purple or his gold and purple now for orange and blue what do you think about this move yeah, I think it's a smart move for everybody involved. I think for T.J. Finley, I mean, he was at best going to be third on the depth chart at LSU, a quarterback. They had, um, you know, really, really kind of focused in on on uh, on others in that in that battle. So he did what he needed to do and went on. And for Auburn, uh, it's a good pickup because this is a guy who can immediately push Bo Nix. This is a guy with SEC starting experience. Um, it's going to give Bo some competition in the in the fall. I mean, I don't think they're going to hide. From the fact that they, you know, want to see who the best man is in, in fall camp, then most people would expect Bo Nix to hold on to the job, and you know, I would agree with them. But uh, at the very least, you're getting a dude that if something happens to Bo Nix this season, whether he gets hurt or you know has a downturn and in play or something like that, your backup option now is a guy who has been through the fire in SEC play um, and uh, has got some really good traits, and he's got several years of eligibility left. Um, so you know, this isn't. A rental. This is a guy that you're really investing in. I think for Auburn fans, you want to look at it from a roster management perspective. Look at it as this: you know, Auburn lost Chael Garnett. Um, you know, didn't play last year, redshirted. Well, now they're bringing in a guy in T.J. Finley, who was a higher-rated dude coming out of coming out of high school, and on top of that, um, you know, started five games in the SEC last year, uh, and, and really looks like a fit for what Auburn's going to try to do in the, on its offense moving forward. So it's a pretty good upgrade to have. You go into the portal and you basically kind of like taking another 2020 kid, um, you know, just add, just tack one on to the, to the, to that recruiting class. And uh, it's a pretty good replacement for what you lost. It's depth, it's competition. And I think, you know, at some point we're going to, we're, we're going to see TJ Finley make a real run and being the starting quarterback at Auburn, whether that's this year or next year or two years from now, it remains to be seen, but uh, it's a, it's a good it's a good move for all parties involved. You're talking about the future of this quarterback room for Auburn and looking at this room in 2022. I mean, if if Bo Nix does not declare for the NFL draft, which I'm going to assume <laughs> that he doesn't, you're going to have Bo Nix, T.J. Finley, Holden Jariner, and Demetrius Davis all in that quarterback room. You're looking at Davis, who is who decided to sign even though Malzahn had been let go. Where does he fit into all of this moving forward in 2022? Will he ever get a chance to, to not necessarily start, but to even have playing time at Auburn? Yeah, I think he'll have a shot. And I think what you're doing here when you get T.J. Finley, I don't think that's anything of an indictment on Demetrius Davis, other than the fact that I think you just want to have a dude with experience as your number two quarterback. You know, Nothing to say... About Grant Lloyd, just I mean, it's Bowling Green, and yeah, and played in a while. And, and you know, when you get a guy like T.J. Finley in here, I think it's just that okay, if something happens to Bowen in 2021, if Bo ends up being the starter, you know, and holds on to that job, you've got a guy with some experience uh, behind him. And so Davis, I think there this year is going to be trying to get him ready to roll and compete. Um, and we'll see how he does in fall camp. But you know, this is a he's a guy that uh, has got a really good skill set. It's just you know he's he's a, he's not really the type of quarterback that we've seen Brian Arson and Mike Bobo use in the past. That doesn't mean he can't be you know work in this offense, and it doesn't mean he can't be a weapon. Uh, at Boise State, um, you know, uh, a couple years back, they went with you know kind of a two quarterback system to an extent. They would bring in Montel Cozart, who was very much a running threat at quarterback, to come in, and he'd he'd take a few snaps a game. And uh, that was kind of his role uh, on the team. And so that might be something you could see Demetrius Davis do early in his career. I don't know how open they are to that. Um, because I think when they did that with Cozart at Boise, he was kind of later on in his career. But, you know, that's that's the kind of skill set he's got. And I think the big thing for Demetrius Davis moving forward is, you know, next year, if the battle's back open again, um, you're looking at you're looking at a lot of depth. You want to take – a really good quarterback each year in college football if you're if you're a powerhouse program and let the pieces fall where they may because you can't be caught putting you know all your eggs in one basket when it comes to the quarterback position i think that's what they're seeing here you bring in finley to replace shao garnett in the in kind of the pecking order um you know in the in the i guess in the timeline i should say uh with with uh with your quarterbacks you bring in garner next year um and so yeah i mean you would have at that point Auburn would have, you know, a 2019 kid, a 2020 kid, a 2021 kid, and a 2022 kid all all in the same quarterback room, which is what you want, and that's the depth and that's the competition you want. And then it's just, hey, may the best man win, and whenever that happens, you know, 
guys are probably going to leave. We're going to go elsewhere and look elsewhere um, just because that's just the nature of the quarterback position in college football. You see recently that Brian Harson says that team building needs to continue and then some other coach coach speaks surrounding that especially talking about the quarterback position which we've become accustomed to now with Brian Harson going into the summer and you know there's not a whole lot to talk about but my question to you is how do you think this coaching staff views this football team going into 2021 because you look out there and there's wide-ranging projections for folks some folks are a little bit more on the on the reserve side say that Auburn football could be looking at best case six and six seven and five next year other people excited about an eight and four or better season coaches always seem to be their biggest critics my thing is is that coach speak or do you think this coaching staff views this this program as kind of a, a regression maybe from last year I don't know if they think of it as aggression. I think they come into it and they look at it and say, we got a lot of work to do because they are tr- changing the culture. They're changing the style on both sides of the ball. You know, Auburn football is going to look a lot different this upcoming year than they did the last year. And that takes the last few years. That takes a lot of work. And, you know, when you have little to no experience at wide receiver, when your offensive line uh, struggled as, as much as they did in certain areas last season, uh, when your defense has to adjust to a completely new way of doing things, when you're bringing in people at quarterback and possibly running back to, to help out your offense and, and establish depth in those spots, you know, that's a lot. And, and, and I think that's the thing is that, you know, Brian Harson's MO from the moment he got here is that, you know, he says it and it's a cliche thing, but it's like, you want to go one and zero every day, but it's like the mentality that he brings to the table is that we've got a lot of work to do every single day, and we've got to get it done every single day in order to compete with the likes of Alabama and Georgia and the other powerhouses in the SEC. So when I think they look at this team, I think they see a foundation, um, you know, that uh, you know that was laid from the previous staff. Um, but you know, they want to they want to make this into their own image. They want to. Uh, really put a stamp on their culture and, and everything they want to bring to the table for Auburn football. And so I think that's what you're seeing. Uh, I think you're going to hear a lot of that in the summer because this is the time where it's got to be player-led a lot of times. You find out who your leaders are, and you learn, okay, this is how our team really is going to be. And chemistry-wise and culture-wise, this is where it all comes together. And so I think that's that's the big thing for these next couple months. What happens behind closed doors and behind the scenes is going to determine a lot of how this looks like in, in the fall. So I think their big thing right now is is that they know they've got a lot of work to do because there's so much change coming to this program in a short amount of time, and they got to get it ready for fall. Last time we saw dramatic scheme shifts on both sides of the football was a disastrous year for Auburn. Catastrophic 2012 worst year in Auburn football history. And, and, and sure, we saw minute changes through the Gus Malzahn tenure, but never – it, whole scale changes on both sides of the football. Do you think this team's ready for that? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the defense is going to be ready for that, especially just because I think the defense they did so well adjusting and transitioning in the spring. I think the big takeaway for me in spring practice was how good the defense looked in a new scheme because I think these, it fits a lot of these guys really well. I think you know the defensive line. A guy like Colby Wooden is made to play that certain position. This defense. Some guys like Derek Hall, um, you know, can stand back and be, you know, kind of more of those outside linebacker types. The linebackers, Auburn. I mean, this defense really plays a lot to funnel things inside to your inside linebackers. Well, you got Owen Papo and Zakobi McLean, two of your best players on the team. <laughs> the secondary. Um, I think Auburn uh, has seen. I mean, you can kind of look at the numbers. Some of these corners and some of these safeties are really good in zone coverage. You just didn't see a lot of it, um, you know, from time to time under Kevin Steele. So I think defensively they're going to be ready for it, and it's going to be a pretty good transition. So I wouldn't imagine to be a massive drop off there. There's going to be a learning curve. There's going to be some growing pains and such, such and such. But I think this defense is is ahead of the curve right now. Um, for offensively, it's just I mean, there's going to be a lot of newness to it, and and uh, you know you've got several position groups on the roster that are in flux, um, you know, especially on the offensive line and wide receiver. And so, you know, it, I don't know what it's going to end up looking like. But one of the main things is, is like, you know, when you change both of your coordinators in one year and you still have the same head coach, that's usually an issue. It's usually a problem. Um, but when you're hitting the reset button and building a new identity and a new culture, uh, kind of like you're doing under Brian Harson, 
um, you know, you get a little bit more. It's a little bit more understandable, and I think it's a, it's a little bit more of a kind of uh, leeway, so to speak, because you know you're you're learning new. Everybody's in the new, new, new. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think defensively they're going to be prepared for it. I think offensively is going to definitely going to be a work in progress, and, and you'll have to see how it goes as time goes on. Uh, but I think it's the reset button that they're hitting in the overall program uh, should prevent them from like having the weird stuff that happens, like at 2012 Auburn or uh, even last year at LSU. You saw a lot of that as well. So um, yeah, the, the total reset is better than the partial reset for sure. I want to switch over to basketball here briefly before we head to break. I want to get your thoughts on this point guard situation with Auburn. I've seen back and forth reading different articles projecting Auburn's starting lineups, back and forth between Zepp Jasper and Wendell Green. Where do you sit as far as the starting role? Do you think Wendell Green, the younger guy, is going to get the nod to start, or do you think Zepp Jasper is going to hold it down for most of the season? I think it's going to be Wendell Green. I think Wendell Green is the pure point guard on this roster. I think Zepp Jasper, if you watch him, at Charleston, he was a combo guard. Um, you know, he can't play the one, he can't play the two. He played uh, he played a good bit of the two uh, kind of earlier in his career at Charleston uh, next to Grant Riller, who played in the NBA. Um, so, I mean, I think Wendell Green is like, you know, he's he's one of those like worth the price of admission kind of guys. He's fun, he's exciting, um, he's, he's quick, he's already here, which I think is a kind of an edge that he might have. He's, he's here a little bit earlier than him and Walker are already on campus. Um, and so I, th- I mean, I, I'm, I'm buying into Wendell Green Jr. as, as your point guard because that's what he has to be. You know, he's a guy like Jasper and a guy like Desi Sills and a guy, um, obviously like Katie Johnson can play both positions in the backcourt. They are one, you know, kind of combo one twos. Um, but Wendell Green is your one, and he's a really, really good one. He's coming off a fantastic year at Eastern Kentucky. Um, you know, his numbers were, were phenomenal. It, it, he very much fits what you want in a Bruce Pearl point guard. So I, I would lean towards him to be the option. I think you are going to see at times Zeb Jasper run the one. I think there's a possibility that you'll see Katie Johnson do some one, maybe even, um, you know, Desi Sills as well, just because they needed that depth of point guard. They did not have it at all last season and came back to bite them. But, yeah, I think Wendell Green, I mean, he's – He's one of those guys I think they're going to play a lot, and I think the one's going to be his his, his spot to own uh, from the beginning of the season. Justin, I appreciate you taking your time with us today. Tell everybody where they can find your great content. Yeah, AuburnObserver.com is where you can check it out. Uh, we write uh, you know a few newsletters each week. Come out on uh, come out at six a.m. most mornings. We email them to you if you sign up for six dollars a month or sixty dollars a year. At AuburnObserver.com, did a film room today on, on TJ Finley that you can check out there. And uh, we have a podcast as well, uh, free ones on the weekends, usually on Sundays, uh, wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you subscribe, you get a midweek one, which for us will come out uh, tomorrow, where we talk a lot about Finley and some of the stuff we learned from Harson and, uh, and uh, Bruce Pearl last night. So, like I said, check that all out at uh, AuburnObserver.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at JFergusonAU. Justin, thank you very much, my man. I hope you have a great afternoon. Y'all too, thank you. That was Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer on the line with us this afternoon. We wrap up hour number one on the other side of this break. Hour number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner, Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. It's been a fun show so far. We talked a lot of Auburn football, Auburn baseball, keeping people up to date with what's going on in Hoover today in the SEC Tournament. Alabama, South Carolina, 8-2, bottom of the fourth. Alabama trying to play their way into the NCAA tournament from the bubble, and they're well on their way in that respect with the way things are going on in Hoover. We'll keep you up to date with what's going on in that game, as well as later on tonight, Auburn baseball taking on Ole Miss, 8 p.m. SEC Network. Went through some great football conversation as well, as well as having Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer on the line with us. If you missed any of that, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast also follow the show and all the content we're putting out on radioalabamasports.net and on the radio alabama sports facebook page followed on twitter as well at radio al sports between collegiate and high school sports content we've got you covered once again that's radioalabamasports.net a lot of great content up a preview article that jacob wrote for us yesterday covering it auburn baseball through this week auburn taking on Ole miss once again we got a preview of that up well as well at the end of today have an article about the future of Auburn's quarterback position a lot of great content there 
if you want to go check it out. Also, Alabama folks out there, a lot of Alabama content. We got something for everybody in the sports world in the state of Alabama. So go and check that out once again on RadioAlabamaSports.net. Going to head a state south here now, though. We're going to continue our make-or-break factors, our SEC series, taking a look at every single SEC football team upcoming year 2021 what are the make or break factors for these football teams i said yesterday it's time for the florida gators it's time for the florida gators lance take it away my man what are some make or break factors i think there are two but one is definitely more important than the other and i think you and i would agree on this can emory jones develop his ability to pass accurately we've seen him under two with two years under mullen He's been able to get some snaps. He's been able to get three or four passes a game over his two seasons uh, with the Gators. Just taking a look here in 2019, he was 25 of 38 for 267 yards and three touchdowns. In 2020, 18 of 32, 221 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. And both of those seasons, he also had over 200 yards rushing. Definitely a dual threat. But this last season, whenever he was able to get on the field, not the most accurate quarterback in the world. Some of some guys, you and I were talking about this off air way early this morning. Some guys have him mocked as a first round pick <laughs> heading into 2021. Malik Willis, Emory Jones, headlining a draft class. And I just do not understand that because this guy, even though he's been able to get his reps, Mullen's been able to keep him somewhat happy. He has less than 100 career pass attempts and a apparently that's enough to project this guy as a first round pick he's unproven as far as first round picks goes (laughs) he's not there yet and I would argue that as far as scheme fit goes they're going to try and mold it more to Emory Jones style but if they don't he's not Kyle Trask he's not throwing the football 40 times a game he's not passing for 400 yards he's a true dual threat and if they try to make him into something that he isn't I could see this Florida team falling apart really really quickly Dan Mullen's great with quarterbacks, and he's great with building a system around QBs. I hold, as much as some people have beef with Dan Mullen and and don't necessarily like his personality as a coach and how he manages his teams, I hold Dan Mullen, from an offensive perspective, I hold that in high regard. I, I think his track record speaks for itself when you look at the fact that he has a good quarterback every single season. He has been able to do what McIlwain could not do before him he, he he is consistently now at the top of the SEC East with Georgia he's not winning it every year but he's doing it while his biggest rival now at least inside the league is experiencing one of their best program runs I feel like over the last 20-25 years stretching all the way back to when they were great back in the 80s but Georgia now They've been to a playoff in the last five years. They, they're experiencing, Florida's experiencing kind of what Auburn's experiencing with Alabama. Not to that degree, of course. Alabama is rattling off a national championship every year. That's the kind of clip that they're doing. Georgia's not anywhere near that. But I just meant they're experiencing strenuous recruiting pressure and in terms of results as well and success in, in their own division, Georgia's been dominating that league. Dan Mullen's been able to close that gap a bit. I hold him and what he's done at Florida so far in high regard, and he's been able to do it in a relatively quick time period. So I trust what he does with quarterbacks. My main question, though, is what does that look like for Emory Jones? And I'm with you. This is on my make-or-break list, and I've been talking about this with you for a couple months now as well. What does that look like for Emory Jones in this offense, and how much does the offense have to change to fit Emory Jones' skill set? Is he a talented passer? I don't know if we have enough of a sample size yet of him as a passer to know that. We all thought that Jeremy Johnson was, was going to, to be a Heisman contender back in 2015, that Auburn was going back to the natty, that he was going to help dig Auburn out of that tough year in 2014 where Auburn went 8-5, and five, that, that was Auburn's going to have a great passing quarterback. What happened? He lost his starting job in three or four games. I'm, I'm you so just impressed. don't know. Yeah, I'm so impressed we're on the same page on that because I was just about to say we thought Jeremy Johnson's sample size was good enough to peg him as a Heisman contender. And he had just as many attempts, I feel like, if not more. I don't, I don't have exact stats on that, but I mean, he started he started half a game in SEC play. Emory Jones hasn't been in that situation. Jones, as a quarterback, He's come in in special packages. They've really used him more of a, as a rushing threat when they've had him out there. But he has at least gotten to toss the ball around a little bit. But 
clearly you look at his numbers on the ground he offers more as a rusher you look at 2019 42 attempts on the ground 256 yards 6.1 average four touchdowns the year before that in 2018 wasn't used a whole bunch but last year 2020 32 attempts and a couple and a couple less games for florida 217 yards on the ground 6.8 average two touchdowns the past two years he has had more rushing attempts or the same amount of rushing attempts so in 2020 he had as many rushing attempts as he had passing attempts and in 2019 he had more rushing attempts than he had passing attempts that tells you how they've been using him when he's entered into ball games he is a true dual threat quarterback I just don't know if we have enough sample size to know about him as a passer so I do think it's a little bit of a quick trigger move to have him in the first round in some mock drafts folks seem to really like him at the moment I've seen PFF they're all over Emory Jones at the moment but I'm not saying that he won't achieve that it's more of this is why it's a make or break factor because if he's not a good passing quarterback his running ability alone is is not enough to get this Florida team to where Florida fans want want them. So Emory Jones has appeared in 20 games over the course of the last two seasons and played sparingly. He's not started. Jeremy Johnson in 2013 and 2014 played nine games. In 2013, 29 of 41 for 422 yards. 2014, 28 of 37 for 436 yards. About the same touchdowns. sample size, it's, I guess. It's actually, if you if you add up Emory Jones, let's see, he'd have about uh, almost 500 passing yards. Johnson would almost have 900. That's almost double in, in half the games. So as far as sample size can, goes, you're exactly right. I don't think we've seen enough of Jones to, to peg him as a, as a Heisman or first-round quarterback or even a decent quarterback in the SEC at that especially considering they're going to have to change this scheme to mold it, it around Jones and try and make him better. Wholeheartedly agree. And that's not us saying that Emory Jones isn't going to get there, or that, he, that he doesn't have the ability to throw the football. It's more of it's a make-or-break factor because we simply don't know enough about him in a starting quarterback role where being able to beat teams like Alabama and Georgia, which both of those teams are on their schedule this year, welcome to Auburn's world, Florida. Now you have to play just as tough of a schedule as Auburn does where you have to play Alabama, LSU, and Georgia, beating those teams. And the reason why squads like Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson go to the college football playoff every year is because they have quarterbacks that can make the throws when it counts. And I don't just mean making big plays, saying that in a cliche. I mean, there are tight window moments in football games where very few quarterbacks, only the most elite in college football, have the ability to squeeze it into a tight window and make the throw necessary to win the big game. And that's because those defenses are that talented, those secondaries are that talented, where they force you to have to beat them with your arm and make that throw. There are very few games where you get that opportunity because there are only a couple of elite defenses, maybe even one elite defense that you will face throughout the whole year. But you have to beat that one elite defense if you're going to make the college football playoff. Look at Michigan. They can't do it. They can't beat Ohio State. They can't beat some of the best teams in their league. That's the reason why they're marooned in, in mediocrity every single year and why Jim Harbaugh's on the hot seat because they haven't had the quarterback that can make those throws. You want to talk about Auburn? Auburn, that's a big reason why they can't beat Georgia every year because they can't throw the football against Georgia. And so when I talk about this Florida team, if they're going to get there, if they're going to get back to the SEC championship, they have to have a quarterback that can make the throws when it counts, make the tight window throws in the big moments. Go back to the 2019 Iron Bowl, an example here. Do you remember the throw that Bo Nix tossed to Sal Canella? I can't remember which quarter that was. It was midway point of the game. It was second quarter. That's what Jacob's throwing out to I believe to be. it was the second quarter, yeah. That throw on a rope, only place where Sal Canella could get it. But look back at the final score. What, Auburn wins 48-45? You take that touchdown off the scoreboard, Auburn doesn't win. Auburn needed every single bit of those big plays in 2019. And so when I talk about a quarterback needing to be able to make a big throw, Bo Nix made that big throw in that 2019 Iron Bowl. Put it on a rope, put it to the only place where Sal Canella can make that catch. And guess what? Sal Canella helped him out and made that catch. It's also on the receiver. Sal Canella helped him out. But at the end of the day, if that throw's not made, Auburn, Auburn loses that Iron Bowl because there goes that touchdown. Auburn loses. Not enough on the scoreboard, right? And so for me, and Bo Nix hasn't done it in any other game other than the Oregon game, at the very beginning of his career which that was an abysmal day for him until the end until the fourth quarter but 
you look at the Georgia game, you look at the Georgia series for Auburn these last two years with Bodix. He hasn't been able to make that throw. Will he make that this year? That's the big difference between Auburn going from being a mediocre team of the SEC year in a year out and being able to compete with Georgia and Alabama is having a quarterback that can make those throws. Florida's in the same boat. I think you made a really good point about Georgia earlier, and that's my second make-or-break factor is if Georgia beats Clemson, how did they do it? Because if they beat if they beat them handily, that will indicate whether or not the season for Florida will be decided in Jacksonville on October 30th. I don't think Florida can keep up with a high-powered Georgia team. If Georgia loses to Clemson or if it's a tight game, I believe Florida heading into that game in Jacksonville, if Emory Jones looks like a decent quarterback, can, can, can compete with them. But if Georgia beats Clemson and they do it in an impressive fashion, I would say season's off for Florida. So after week one, I'm not penciling anything in, but it's going to give me a clear indication on what's happening on the other side of the pond in Georgia. It's going to give me a clear indication as to how Florida's season is going to go. I'm looking at a group of four games on the Florida football schedule next year that I see as crucial because we've talked about this a bit. We did a which is more likely. Florida finishes at the top of the SEC East, which is more likely. Florida repeats as SEC East champions or Florida drops to as far as third place in the SEC East. Somebody could overtake them, right? The difference between them dropping to third and maybe even staying in second place here is a group of four games. Georgia, Missouri, Alabama, and LSU. What do they do in those four games? That's a make-or-break factor for me. They can lose to Georgia. They can lose to Alabama and still finish in second of the SEC East and, and, and have, it as a, have it as a good year in the SEC, and Florida fans probably won't be too disgruntled. But if you lose to Missouri, you lose to LSU, you split in those two games, if you go on one and three across that four, you could be looking at Florida as a third-place team in the SEC East if Missouri punches above their weight class and does some special special things throughout the year and avoids losses to some of the average teams on their schedule. Me and you are are up on this Missouri team. They have a favorable schedule, and that's something that uh, that we'll continue to talk about throughout the offseason. But let's head to the phone lines now. We got Terry on the line with us. Terry, how you doing today, my man? It's been a little while. Great, guys. How y'all doing? Sorry about the deal work schedule. Sometimes I don't comply, but I'm here. How y'all doing? We're doing good, and it's good to have you back on with us. Thank you. Good to be with you. Um, I'm kind of pulling for T.J. Finley simply because I think he can win the locker room. And I don't think Bo Nix will ever win the locker room. Um, I think he was I, – I, Dan and Dan Peck and I have gone back and forth about this multiple times. I think he was guaranteed a starting job to come to, to, to come to all. I think he was promised that. See uh, Willis at Liberty and, and, and Gus Malzahn was making a concerted effort to get rid of all the guys that could threaten him. And I'm a big believer in competition makes you better. And I don't believe Auburn can ever get any better with Bo Nix. I really don't. Now, can he be – because Brian Harson got a history? Yes, he does. And he may be able to work a miracle. We don't know. But I'd like to see how it works out because I think T.J. Finley could win the dressing room. And he's got a, he's got a much better shot with Brian Harsey did with Gus Malzahn because I think if Gus Malzahn's there, they don't even go after T.J. Finley. That's a good point. I don't think that Auburn goes after T.J. Finley if Gus Malzahn's still here. I'll say this, though, and, and, and we don't know because we're not in the locker room and, and, and no, nobody is other than the players and the coaches, right? So I, I kind of am curious how, how people view Bo Nix. You know, from some people that you talk to, they say that, Bo Nix that that people like him in the locker room and that other people may say things as as you know contrary to that it's just hard to it's hard to know because we're not in there I'm curious well, though I, I, mean, I agree with you but when you see him standing alone on the sideline and some of the interactions he had with Seth Williams and some other things that have gone on the sidelines that kind of lends to the fact that uh, that that uh, that there's some there's some dissension there sure you look back at that South Carolina game there was some there was some body language in that ball game and they had it on TV you watched Bo Nix and, and some of his receivers getting into it I, I totally understand that my question is and something that I'm curious to see is does the fact that Bo Nix the fact that he's been around for a lot longer does that give him a leg up in winning the locker room and winning this battle over his over his counterpart TJ Finley or anybody else that wants to throw their hat in the ring is the fact that he's been there and that the the team has been behind him up to this point does that give him a leg up on on the outside on the outsider coming in I, I think with the new coaching staff, probably not. I mean, you know, if Malzahn, of course, we kind of go backwards. If Malzahn was still there, T.J. Finley wouldn't be there. But, but the new staff is kind of a fresh start for everybody, including Bo Nix. So 
So that's kind of a non-factor. But let me let me ask you guys this question: If does Auburn's quarterback room consist of Bo Nix, T.J. Finley, and and the other and the freshman next year? There's one of them gone, in y'all's opinion. I, I don't think they, all three of them are in there 22 at all. I think T.J. Finley sticks around, especially considering he's about to lose his ability to transfer without having to sit out a year because he just used that this year. I see Demetrius Day. I I I I'm having a hard time seeing Demetrius Davis with a clear path to playing time, especially with Holden Garner coming in. And we talked about this on yesterday's show. I this coaching staff has gone after not one but two quarterbacks since they've stepped on campus. Demetrius Davis was here when they got there, and mm-hmm. I think that's a signal of intent that they've been looking elsewhere for for the future of this quarterback room. Well, I'll say this about Gus Malzahn: if he went out and recruited some guys like Davis, he might he might still be at Auburn. Um, he would he would not recruit the style. He was more in love with what he wanted than what he needed, in my opinion. And I know he's gone. I know that's that's beating a dead horse there. So that's <laughs> neither the fact neither neither here nor there. But at the same time, it bothers me because I seen a guy more in love with what he wanted than what he needed to do. And I'd say probably fifty five sixty percent or more of Gus Malzahn plays were ad lib plays by the quarterback. Nick Marshall bailed him out a number of times. And let's remember something, guys. He took Nick Marshall from a national championship contender quarterback to a seven and five quarterback the next year that did happen that did so, happen. i mean that's not my opinion that actually you just said you said it right there that really did happen so i mean that's because he that's the, and that goes back to the fact that he was more in love with what he wanted than what he needed and then now he didn't have trey mason he didn't have greg robinson or jay prosh or any of those guys but i think he was still capable of winning more than seven games sure and it didn't and help if that you his want defense to was any kind of consistency you have to do it yeah, and it didn't help that his defense was abysmal in 2014, too, because that, that cost Ellis Johnson his job, too. But, I Terry, agree. all valid points, my man. we got to head to a quick break here, though. Sure. Take care, guys. Appreciate it, Terry. That was Terry on the line with us. If you want to call in as well, call in at 334-321-1390. That's how you can get through to on the line. Once again, 334-321-1390. We're going to head to a quick break here. And when we come back, we'll continue our conversation about make-or-break factors for Florida in 2021. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama, wrapping up the show here, the final segment of On the Line before the drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Pack coming up at 4, as they do every weekday on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook to keep up with the latest going on in sports. On the Line, the drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more, all on Fox Sports Central Alabama on foxsports983.com. That's Fox Sports 983 Before we wrap up the show here, let's take a listen to What's On TV Tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. Tonight is the live finale of The Voice where we will find out who America has chosen to be the winner. Catch the show at 7 on NBC. Movie selection for tonight, Mrs. Doubtfire is on Freeform at 6. And live sports, three NBA playoff games are on television starting at 6.30 on TNT. With game two between the Boston Celtics and the Brooklyn Nets. At 9, also on TNT, LeBron James and the Lakers look to even the series against Chris Paul and the Suns in game two. At 9.30 on NBA TV, the Dallas Mavericks could take a 2-0 lead over the Clippers with Game 2 in L.A. The SEC Baseball Tournament is live in Hoover with four games across the day on SEC Network. In the evening at 4.30, LSU will take on Georgia. And at 8, Auburn and Ole Miss will finish off the first round. MLB Baseball is on FS1 at 7.10 with the Los Angeles Dodgers at the Houston Astros. Prime pitching matchup with Clayton Kershaw against Zach Greinke. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner, Lance Dahl with you wrapping up the show here. We got about five minutes left, six minutes left in the Tuesday edition of the show. You still got time to call in, 334-321-1390. Be sure to call in and be sure to follow the show at ESPN 106.7. It's how you can keep up with everything going on at the station, ESPN 106.7 on Twitter. We've been going through predicting the first loss for every SEC team, and we've started out in the West Let's keep you up to date, though, with what's going on in the SEC baseball tournament out in Hoover. Auburn taking on Ole Miss tonight, of course, but we've got a pretty fun baseball game on right now. There's a sizable lead, but there's been a lot of offense, and there's been some home runs as well. Alabama originally only had a 1-0 lead. They got out to as much as 8-0. They now lead 9-3 on South Carolina, the bottom of the seventh inning on SEC Network. 
trying to barrel towards that 430 start between LSU and Georgia. Are we going to get there, guys? Do we think that we're going to start the LSU-Georgia game on time? I don't think so. Nope, don't think so. (laughs) Auburn's starting at 9.06. Write it down. Or later. (laughs) Or later at this point. No, I think Auburn will still start. Auburn's set for an 8 p.m. start time. That's what what the schedule says. But I think we're behind about 30 minutes right now. If things go as as planned in LSU-Georgia, Auburn starts at like – 830 840-ish maybe but right now once again just keep in mind tune in at 8 and you'll be able to see if it's on television or not that's what the start time is right now on SEC Network but Alabama up 9-3 to three, trying to play their way into the NCAA tournament this will be a big win for them if they can lock it down against South Carolina and I think they are going to be able to we talked about it two or three times uh, yesterday and we talked about it earlier it's like well which team's going to want this matchup win this matchup more and I thought it was obviously Alabama and you see right now the score reflects that a lot of a lot of high-powered offense, and you, you like you mentioned earlier, Auburn or Alabama was bringing their best pitchers into this matchup. So, like they they needed to win this, they knew they had to, and they've been able to get the job done so far. Two innings left. Let's see if they can hold on. Well, Alabama is in the bottom four of the league at the plate, as well as South Carolina. South Carolina second to last in the SEC in batting average. Alabama once again in that bottom four. There, they're sitting at a grand total of eleventh in the SEC and batting average but Alabama's only 10th in team ERA whereas South Carolina's in the top four of team ERA so when I looked at this yesterday I thought man that's a tough matchup for Alabama because neither of these teams are great at the plate but South Carolina has some of the best pitching in the SEC that's a big reason why they're sitting at 16 and 14 guess what Alabama did what they needed to do they brought the bats today gentlemen Yep, and the question is is whether or not they're going to be able to continue that into the series against Tennessee if they win today. Obviously, a six-run deficit is not – you can come back from that. But with two innings left, it's not looking like that's going to happen. But, you know, moving on, playing Tennessee, they got to be able to continue to to swing the bats consistently and maybe crank out a win or two and and see if they can get deeper into the SEC tournament. I think this win – if they get the, this one win, I think that's enough. I think that's enough to push. Thirty is a good-looking number. The problem is they'll lose two more. So, so at worst, if they hold on to this, you could be looking at a thirty and twenty-four Alabama team that won thirteen games in conference play. Yep. If you include the SEC tournament, I think that's enough to get them in. If you can win on Thursday, which would be the double elimination game, the game that you could be going home, assuming that they lose to Tennessee tomorrow. So going into Thursday, if you're able to win that game, you're for sure in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, it, I it, think so. If you can go one to two against Tennessee, you're 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 not a lock, but you you should be in. You should be feel comfortable about it heading into Selection Sunday. Now, by the time you get to Friday, does Alabama have enough to beat? someone between florida mississippi state and tennessee one of those three teams i would say probably not i don't think i I think all three of those teams in terms of their pitching staffs and how deep they are also they're all all three of those teams are better teams at the plate than alabama so by the time you get to friday one of those three teams that i just named florida mississippi state and tennessee will be in that double elimination game and if alabama were to advance that far to friday everybody's arms are spent by friday when you get back to single elimination on Saturday, that's enough rest for you to go back to your first guy if you had him on Wednesday or Tuesday. That's enough time for you to go back to there and, you're, and you've had enough rest for your pitchers mm-hmm. that maybe you missed throughout the week, but now they're back on Saturday. But Friday, it's not the case. You're, you're, you're pretty, you're, you've exhausted a lot of your arms through the tournament at that point. It comes down to who can hit in that elimination game. And Alabama, although they've put up a, a fat number today, although they've put up nine in game one against South Carolina, I still, on average, would trust Florida, Mississippi State, and Tennessee in that elimination game to put up the numbers that they need to at the plate to get past an Alabama team that will see majority of their pitching staff depleted by that point. So I, looking at Alabama's trajectory throughout the rest of this SEC tournament, they win today, they play Tennessee tomorrow, lose to Tennessee who's going to throw their best Alabama now without Connor Prelip they're going to their third best arm that they would have started the season with Alabama loses tomorrow they go to the elimination game on Thursday they'll either be playing Florida or Mississippi State and if they're taking on Florida Florida will be in a similar boat in terms of how many pitchers they've exhausted but Florida's got a deeper staff than Alabama at this point especially into the bullpen and they're much better at the plate so I see Alabama probably going home after two more days here 
they'll win here. But I, I don't, I don't, I don't see this going much further for and Alabama. You talk about be, uh, being able to do what you got to do at the plate. Auburn's playing two teams potentially. If they beat Ole Miss tonight, they'd be playing Ole Miss and then Vanderbilt, like you mentioned. Get Jack Leiter or yep. Kumar Rocker tomorrow. Yep, you'd be play, playing a couple of teams that can really swing the bat. So if Auburn could get past Ole Miss and prove that they can beat an offensive team. I, I like their chances against Vanderbilt. I know that sounds crazy, but what? Auburn's been able to prove themselves uh, in games like uh, the Arkansas series early on. They've been able to 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 at least keep up with these teams, but they've not been able to get over the hump. If they're if they're serious about winning in this this SEC tournament, if I see them win against Ole Miss, maybe even convincingly, I would feel I would not feel confident, but I would feel like okay, again, there's hope. I have hope for tonight, and if they win, I've got hope for the future. That's the optimism in you. That's, That's the, the optimism. optimism in you. But uh, as Jacob's shaking his head saying, I have no hope. <laughs> oh, this Auburn athletic season is taking everything from that man in that chair. That's it for another edition of On the Line, the Tuesday edition in the books. We'll be back with you tomorrow. The Drive with Bill Cameron coming up. We'll see you tomorrow. You know where to find us.